This podcast was proudly sponsored by Scanning Pens. Scanning Pens strive to embed a lifelong love of reading for all individuals with reading difficulties using the C-Pen Reader that reads text back to you as you scan the words on a page. Go to deardyslexic.com to find out more about the pen and order your free trial today. Hello and welcome to our latest podcast. We have had a lot of different guests on our show who advocate and work in the education space, but we have never had a guest who is a dyslexic advocate, primary school teacher and YouTube singing sensation. With over 12,000 subscribers and over 250 music videos, Rocking Dan, the Teaching Man has been a hit with children and schools all over Australia. Dan first joined me on our Question This Facebook Live to talk about the Faces of Dyslexia campaign and his self-portrait entry. We had such a great conversation, we thought we should continue it through this podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Dan. How have you been? Oh, good. Thanks, Shay. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I've been well and keeping busy. So thanks. How have you been? Yeah, good. Thank you. I mean, it was great when we had our, we did our Facebook Live and people got to meet you and to hear a bit about your story. But I really wanted the opportunity to kind of talk a bit more about your story, particularly because of all the work you do um, in primary school supporting students with dyslexia. Mm-hmm. So what was life like for you growing up with dyslexia? Life Growing up was a real challenge, yeah, with dyslexia because the early years of schooling are so formative and I think children sort of view their their worth through being able to read and write and and obviously maths skills as well. So um, if you're not doing well academically or you're not progressing and you see your classmates progressing, um, I think you kind of link that to your own self-worth and and your intelligence, even though um, those challenges have nothing to do with your intelligence. But I think when you see you're not performing well at school, um, you kind of start to think that, well, it's because you're stupid and you're continually failing. So that was that was a real challenge mentally and emotionally sort of being left behind because of this dyslexia. Yeah. And so how old were you when you were diagnosed? Um, so it was, I was in year four, so I was about nine. And um, yeah, I still have my um, educational psychologist report. And that was really interesting reading that and going through it because um, it was actually, actually quite an emotional experience. Yeah, so I read some things like, um, so as Daniel began to read, he began to rock, an indication of how anxious he became. He has become. So that was quite confronting because actually the thought of um, reading something made me so anxious that I would rock. So, yeah, it was. So I was nine years of age. And um, so diagnosis was really important for me because it sort of it opened up the idea that, well, just because you're, you're struggling to read and write doesn't necessarily mean that I was um, unintelligent so there was a reason for me struggling um, rather than just being dumb or stupid or all, all the sort of things that I um, that I've, I've felt about myself and then uh, reading through the report a bit more it had things about having severe learning disabilities and feeling inferior to others and so just those observational notes from 
that educational psychologist report was quite illuminating um, as an adult to go back and, and read it. Yeah, but it was actually, it was certainly, I do remember being told, it was actually a physical transformation because like I felt that this, this weight had been lifted off my shoulders, like I had a reason for the struggles that I had. So yeah, so it, it was it was it was an important thing. It was important to know. Yeah. Was there uh, any opportunity to have any early intervention? Or I know that when I was going to school in the eighties, there, even though I wasn't diagnosed, I was older. Yeah. Um, that there wasn't a lot of intervention anyway no. during that period of time. So was that the same for you, or did you get access to? some form of intervention? Um, no. So at the time, the school I was at didn't really know what to do with the report. And, you know, there'd be comments like, well, every child's different and you can't expect that Daniel's going to go as well as his siblings. He's got other siblings. Everyone's different. You're developing at your own pace. And that was sort of the, the rhetoric rather than saying, oh, look, there's a problem here and we need to address it, but yeah, and there wasn't a lot known. Um, so getting intervention, um, so my parents tried a lot of things to help, but it wasn't the best evidence-based approach that, that we know that we could have got. So I got some tutoring and it wasn't really until I was in year five that I went and saw a speech pathologist to start to work on the sounds and the structure of the English language and but by that stage, you know, 10-year-old, you're a long way behind. When I was nine, when I was diagnosed, um, because dyslexia, you know, means difficulty with words and it's a language-based um, problem, a phonological problem, being able to identify individual sounds, that phonemic awareness and map those sounds to symbols. And so when you've missed, when you've got a problem with, with that and then, and then being able to lift the words off the page and decode the words and spell the words and code the words. If you can't do that, you're a long way behind. So any sort of intervention, even at nine or 10, is you're starting behind the eight ball. So that's that's why the it's so important to get kids as soon as they start school. So the intervention wasn't really the best evidence-based. And did you feel like you were put into um you were kind of put to the side with the other children that were struggling that might have had an intellectual disability or that had autism or, again, back in the 80s, they weren't always diagnosed as a child as well. Yeah, look, I can't can't remember that far back. This seems like a long time ago, maybe. <laughs> I was put into a um, special reading group. Yeah. Even though they didn't know what was wrong. Yeah. I was just slow, um, but yeah. I was put into the special reading groups in primary oh. school. Yeah, no, I was going to say, yeah, so when I was diagnosed, the report said that, so I was in year four, but I was two and a half years behind with decoding. So being able to, you know, map sounds to symbols and understand the alphabetic principle, you know, the code of the English language, but I was two years above with my vocabulary. Mm. So... That's a huge difference. Um, it's over four years difference between being able to, to, to decode and what your actual language comprehension is. So if someone was to read something to me, I'd be able to understand it and answer questions. But the actual laborious part of trying to read 
was um, was was so difficult for me, and then spelling as well. Um, so yeah, so it, I, I I guess so the way I felt like I was sort of you know I had you know a, quite a reasonable intelligent person, but I was trapped in this this brain that just couldn't read or write, and um, yeah, so that was really frustrating. Um, I, you look, I do remember sort of being pulled out for this and that, but I didn't sort of understand why or what. Or, yeah, but then again, I don't think they really worked on at that point what I, I needed, which was you know, if really advanced, aggressive phonemic awareness training. You know, being able to identify and manipulate the sounds, individual sounds in in English, and then being able to attach those sounds to the symbols, you know, the letters and the letter combinations. So, I mean, and that's what I really needed um, to be able to read and spell. So, yeah, at that point, yeah, I felt quite shattered as, as, a, as a young person. You feel quite useless and, yeah. So, and, and it was later when I was reading the Overcoming Dyslexia book by Sally Shaywitz. So I think she's from Yale, Yale University and she interviewed a lot of dyslexics and there was one guy named George and he sort of described dyslexia as a beast, like this unknown predator that silently was stalking him and continually disrupting his life and, and George wanted to face the beast to understand what was happening to him. And I think as, an, as I was growing up, and when I became a teacher, that's when I thought, you know what, I, I want to face this beast myself. So I think I, I sort of wrote about dyslexia being this, um, like this dragon, and you're trying to fight the dragon, um, but you're not armed. You've only got a toothpick and a bin lid, and you're in a wetsuit. You don't have armour, and so the dragon's kind of batters you around. And it's just, it's so hard. So that's what I want to face the dragon or the beast and, and stare it down. And that's really becoming a teacher and, and not even that early as a teacher. It was only when my son had the difficulties that he had that I thought, well, I've got to look into, you know, the science of reading and what the latest research says about that. And I'm so explicitly and systematically and cumulatively teaching the alphabetic code is so vital for dyslexic children. It's vital for all children. It's helpful for all children to really understand the structure of the English language. So the more I learned, the better, the more I understood myself and the more I understood you know, students that I taught and, and all students, whether wherever they fall on um, you know, the reading ladder. So if you look at um, Nancy Young's work from Canada, she's a dyslexic specialist. And she developed this ladder of reading. And she showed that, you know, that teaching the alphabetic principle explicitly and systematically was just so vital for dyslexic children looking at all the research. But it's it's helpful for the children who seem to get it straight away anyway. So uh, because they start to understand the structure of language and that helps them with their reading and their spelling as well. So Helping dyslexic children actually helps everybody. You know, there's a famous quote that the explicit teaching of the alphabetic principle is, is vital for some children. Um, so uh, dyslexic children, it's helpful to all and it's harmful to none. So we're actually helping everybody, which was one of the great discoveries that um, learning more about myself and dyslexia 
has really helped me help everybody, um, all the children I teach. Well, there's a couple of questions running through my mind, but one of them is that it's normally what's good for dyslexic children or dyslexic adults in the workplace mm -hmm. is actually good practice for everybody. It's inclusive practice and um, yeah. every, everyone benefits, whether it's inclusive uh, teaching in the classroom to having inclusive work environments where yeah. everyone's accepted. And yeah, so exactly right. It's, it's not rocket science what, we, what we're talking about. It's actually good for everyone. It is good. It's, it's definitely good for everyone. And, uh, and it's actually for me in, so when I was trying to help my, um, my son, I learned so much about myself, but I also learned so much about the English language. And that's been helpful for me as a teacher, because now I've been able to mentor other teachers and uh, teach other teachers more about what the alphabetic principle is, you know, phonemic awareness and mapping sounds to symbols and syllables and syllable division and syllable types. And so that's helped, you know, my colleagues with their teaching. So that's it's actually so all the, the work that I've had to do has helped other teachers as well and it is helping um, lots of kids. So that's really satisfying. So what was it like going through secondary school and then higher education? At some yeah. point, did you get, like once you got into uni, did you get additional support or reasonable adjustments or how did you manage those transition periods? When I first went to uni straight out of school, so I did an arts degree. No, I didn't get any additional adjustments or any. I, it wasn't something I thought I, I wanted to do and I don't think I really wanted to acknowledge that I was dyslexic at that point because high school was... Um, yeah, it's that point in your life where you're just kind of given up, <laughs> which is sad. But I think I did as, as much as I thought I could do. I never thought I could ever be a top student. Um, so if I passed, that was good enough for me. My mindset had to shift. And I thought, you know, if for me, I just knew that I could either, you know, be down on myself or I could acknowledge, yes, it's a challenge, it's a big challenge being dyslexic, but if you want to um, make your way in the world, you've just got to work so much harder and, you know, it's not easy. And I think there's, there's some statistic that our dyslexic children, they, they're working five or six times harder than um, a sort of a neurotypical child, a non-dyslexic child. So that's exhausting. So you're exhausted, you're feeling bad about yourself. Um, but at some point you've just got to say, well, you know, um, I've, got to, I've got to do it. A, a critical point in your life where you swapped to a kind of growth mindset where you knew that it, it could go either way. I know that happened for me when I was 27. Um, uh, oh, yeah, what, what happened? What happened to me? Oh, do you want me to say first? Yeah, the, no, no. Well, either. I don't mind. <laughs> well, if you're comfortable, yeah. Uh, I When I go on public speak, I talk often of um, I had a complete breakdown mm -hmm. and was in and out of hospital suicidal mm. um, and was really sick. And it, it was um, the turning point for me was you either go down the path of never recovering mm -hmm. or you have you... Um, you don't and yeah it's yeah. really there's normally something that happens 
um, when I speak to people that there's been a critical moment in their life where they've gone, actually, I need to shift gear, otherwise yeah. this is not going to end well. Yeah. Well, I'm really sorry to hear your story, but um, certainly it's inspirational that you've come through that, so that's good. Thank you. Um, it's not uncommon, though, and it's really... Yeah, that's, yeah. well, that's, that's, that's a bad thing. I think what we need to do is people do need to feel and think positively, but on the other hand, we need to make sure we're supporting people in order to the dyslexics in order with the right sort of um, teaching and explicit systematic teaching to, in order to help them. So it's 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 both. If if you can get the learning right, then you can um, help the mental side. So uh, that's that's sort of our responsibility as teachers and adults to um, give the right sort of intervention in order to get children learning. So, yeah, for me, um, was there a critical point? I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. I just thought, well, I've got to do it. I've got to, I've got to just, yeah, it was probably because I went through a long period of time of just really drifting without any sort of real direction until, you know, I was probably about 27 or so and went back to university to try and um, become a teacher. And first year uni, I sort of got through, but then second year, I, I got a distinction for an assignment and I didn't understand how. Um, <laughs> And so I thought, well, if I can do that, then, you know, I mean, anything's possible. So I just worked really, really hard and then, you know, got some, like towards the end, I, I did a lot better. Um, and then I think doing the, um, the course I did with the Institute of Multisensory Structured Language, the Australian Dyslexia Association, that was actually... I worked so hard on that because I, I felt this fire and this passion and going through that course helped me. It helped me understand myself and it helped me become much better um, at decoding words and spelling words and um, with my writing too. So just, just once I went through that, um, the MSL course, um, that really helped me. And now I've got this real passion and this fire that, inside me that I really love the English language now, which was something that uh, I don't think I ever would thought I would say. Yeah, I do. I love the structure of the English language. I like um, watching news reports, putting on the television and watching the headlines scroll down along the bottom and then just I just start breaking words into syllables and start thinking about the origin of words and where does that come from. That's about it. Yeah, I feel it's made me. <laughs> I feel it's made me a bit obsessed. The driving force behind what we do. Ab abs yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it is this um, intensity that you feel, this passion that hey, I can help kids not go through what I went through, and you know, I'll, I'll, and I I read so much now, and something that I never wanted to read a book ever, um, and now because there's so many so much research that's happened over the last 40 years around not just dyslexia but reading in general and how the brain 
read. So there's a lot of books that I've read, like Language of the Speed of, uh, Speed of Sight. I think that's uh, Mark uh, Seidenberg and um, Stanislas de Haan's Reading in the Brain and some books by David Kilpatrick and um, more dyslexia books. This book, Reading for Life by Lynn Stone and uh, just reading all this research and um, Macquarie University also, they've got a new reading clinic um, and so I think it's Anne Castles, so she's put out a lot of um, articles and things. So I read a lot about reading and so that's that's something I never thought I would have done as a child. Um, yeah, and so for me it's sort of changing the mindset of, look, reading doesn't have to be laborious, it can be something that is joyful. But again, I'm just going to say we've got to give the, the kids the skills to be able to, to do it, to enjoy you know the rich literature that's out there so there's not enough hours in the day and so how did no <laughs> definitely there aren't enough hours in the day how did you build your confidence over time was it when you went to university the second time and you started seeing that you could really achieve or did that start sooner or was it after university that you when you wanted to tame the beast or fight the dragon yeah. that you built that confidence well, you know, it's a strange thing, probably doing the MSL course, the multi-sensory structured language course um, with, the, with the Institute of Multisensory Structured Language, the Australian Dyslexia Association, was, was um, doing that course. It helped in a lot of ways, but it made me confront the past, which, which I hadn't done before. So, uh, yeah, when I was at the course, and you say, oh, look, I'm doing this because I'm dyslexic and I've got dyslexic son and so I want to learn how to help him and, and everything. Uh, it was it was like people were like saying, oh, wow, it's amazing. Uh, you're, it's amazing that what you're doing and that you became a teacher and that you can do these things. And I just think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm just me to myself. It's like <laughs> to me it's just you take for granted that you've had to work as hard or a lot harder than non-dyslexic people. And so you, I don't understand what it's like not to be dyslexic. Yeah, so I think it was just, I think it's not so much a moment, but it's years of, of grind, you know, years of grit that get you there. Um, and the journey, you know, I, if I look back, could have been a lot easier if more was known about dyslexia and how to teach dyslexics. So the thing is, what I do now is I um I check things like three, four, five, six, seven times. So if you kind of use things to your advantage that you check it and you get other people to check it. My wife will check things, you know, um, so to make sure you get things right. Whereas maybe if, if things had come a lot easier maybe I wouldn't be checking things as much and you know if without the struggle you 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 might make a lot more mistakes now so yeah it's a lot of hard work um, I was going to ask you yeah. how you manage um in the workplace now but it's interesting you say about the checking because um mm -hmm. I know if I don't get it checked <laughs> there's always big mistakes and it's recently yeah. I did something and I I spent so much time on it and um, it was our calendar. There's somebody missing off the calendar. And then I went yeah. back and went, oh, my gosh, there is someone missing off the calendar. So now I'm going back to 
Uh-huh. Get some updated. And I said to my partner, I just needed someone to check it because the simplest of things you miss mm. if you don't have it checked and checked. But it's building in that time, oh, isn't it, to sure. allow for the checking. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It can be, can be hard, especially if you're doing a lot of things quickly and you're churning out a lot of work. So how do you manage day-to-day That's with right. your teaching? Uh, day-to-day with my teaching. I'm very fortunate to um, have some, you know, some wonderful staff um, around me. But so you need to work collaboratively and acknowledge your strengths and the things that you might need help with. Yeah, it's just about working that much harder, so making sure you've got your, everything organised. So you've got folders, you've got everything ready, you've got everything laid out, and you write lists and you put lists up on so I put lists up on my um, wall in front of my desk so I know what I have to do um, because, you know, that working memory can also be a challenge for dyslexics, so holding on to the more than one idea at a time. You know, that short-term memory can go. So you've got to have lists and everything spread out. And computer can help now technology where you've got folders on your Google Drive so you put things in the right place. So it's a matter of making sure you do it right and staying on top of things, yeah, and getting organised. Because, you know, look, there's, there's a lot in teaching. It's a big workload. So just making sure, okay, these are my deficits, but I, I've worked on them so much that they're no longer that much of an issue. Does your um, dyslexia impact your writing or is it mainly the reading? Uh, No, it'll be mainly writing because, you know, writing is more of a challenge than than reading because it's kind of, you know, that, that sort of apex skill just above reading, being able to put things into, into words and spelling can be, more challenging than actually reading words. So, but you know, I, I I'll say I'm a, I'm a good speller now. Like, you know, I've worked very hard. So, and and that's sort of proof that um, so dyslexics need what everybody else needs. They just need more of it. And so that's part of that that sort of grit that you've you've got to roll up your sleeves and work really hard. But also it's a lot easier to do that if people know how to teach you. And I think that's something that we need to make people aware of. This is how we can teach you. They're just going to need a lot more repetition, repetition of the alphabetic code. I actually did some postgraduate study on music, music and education. Um, And so music can be uh, a great vehicle helping to remember things so you know you you might remember your um if the lyrics to your favorite song because you put something to beat and melody um with repetition it helps you remember things so um i just sort of did some action research on that trying to help kids with um, their writing and remembering facts so the first song i did was um just to help well this is way back when I was teaching kindergarten. So I did a song called The Friends of 10 and it's just about the addition facts that add up to 10, you know, for instant recall. So I, I just wrote a song, put a bit of uh, melody to the addition facts, you know, about the, the numbers that, that add up to 10 and so 10 had a party and all these friends came, so 9 and 1 were having fun and 8 and 2 knew what to do. 
So um, I was just playing that to my kindergarten class, and that was a, a, a long time ago. Um, and then so I discovered YouTube, and I thought, well, you know, my kids enjoy this song, so I'll try and record the song. And I ended up finding a, a program, a very simple program that allowed you to, um, you know, animate clip art. So I just imported some clip art and then put the recorded the song, The Friends of Ten, and then just put it up on YouTube and the kids would like to watch it. So, you know, I wasn't always singing in the classroom. They'd watch the animation of the numbers coming to Ten's party and they were singing along. Um, and then that sort of just took off a little bit, that song. And then I, I re-recorded it and reanimated it and tried to make it a bit better. But so then I just started writing educational songs and recording them and putting them on my YouTube channel, which I ended up coming up with a name, which was ended up being related to dyslexia. So it was called, uh, my YouTube channel is called Rocking Dan Teaching Man. Because obviously my name's Dan and I teach. Um, and the rocking part came from that educational psychologist report. So where it said... Um, um, Daniel Daniel began uh, began to read, uh, began to rock when he when he started to read because I was anxious. So it was like rocking Dan. So it was a bit of a play on that. There you go. I thought it was because you were a rock star. <laughs> no, not a rock star. <laughs> I, I I find it yeah. It's kind of um. It's a little bit ironic, or maybe it's just that. So I have a YouTube channel about education and. Um, you know, maths and literacy and music and something I don't think I'm a very good musician. I can't really sing well. I was illiterate as a nine-year-old, uh, innumerate, and now I have an educational music channel. So it's, it's gone really well. Um, just over 8 million views on the channel so far. Uh, and wow. so, yeah, so um, I needed a, a – well, actually needed to take long service – leave because they had so much stored up so I took a term off last year and I thought well what do I want to do with this that term and since I had uh, quite a few views on YouTube I just went on to um, Facebook and said I'm taking term three off this year if anyone wants me to come to their school to play my songs I'm you know happy to do that and it'd be free you don't have to worry about paying anything and so I got a lot of um a lot of responses yeah from all over Australia actually so that was that was that was really amazing and people was commenting oh yeah you know oh are you rocking Dan I know your music I've been playing your music for years in my classroom yeah we'd love you to come so I went across ended up going to three states went down to Victoria I've got to play some schools in regional Victoria and down in to Melbourne. I was in Geelong and then um, came back up to New South Wales and did some schools in Sydney and Western Sydney and Newcastle and up to Queensland, um, sort of Gold Coast and Brisbane. And then, then I, I sort of I ran out of time and I couldn't couldn't get to everyone. But I had a I think I did thirty. 37 schools and about 40 shows um, in six weeks. Yeah, I had 
places I couldn't get to. So, you know, with South Australia and the Northern Territory to Thursday Island and Townsville, there was, there was a lot of interest. So I had no idea there was that much interest in the in the music, but I had a great time and it was it was amazing. Yeah, the kids were so excited and they were singing and that's quite an unusual experience to have, you know, just be playing a song that you had written and you might have 400 kids singing along and they know the words. So having the song sung back to me live was actually very special. So, yeah, I loved it. I can imagine, and there's no rest for the dyslexics, is there? <laughs> no. So, and that was um, so much, I should mention, my tour charity was the Code Red Dyslexia Association. Um, oh, sorry, Code Red Dyslexia Network. So I took them where I went um, and I had the big sticker on my guitar and my guitar case. And whenever I got a chance to talk about dyslexia and Code Red, I was able to do that. So that, that was really good too. So, And I met some um, wonderful teachers who and sort of learned what they were doing and um, seeing a, a really good shift, uh, understanding of dyslexia and just understanding of how the brain l- learns to read. Yeah. Well, there's so many, I think this podcast will resonate with so many different people from adults that have struggled or have had a similar journey to you, to parents listening to this and to teachers. Are there some key um, tips that you'd like to leave for our listeners around what we've talked about tonight or what you've learnt in your journey? So key tips, key tips. I think the, the most important thing is that dyslexia is uh, it's a big challenge. It's, it really is. And so the earlier we can identify dyslexics better, and I know it is an expensive process, so even if you don't get a diagnosis, if there's things that you you notice about someone's uh, child so that, say, they've, they've got trouble um, identifying individual sounds, so maybe it's the initial sound or the end sound or some of the sounds in the middle of a word, being able to manipulate those sounds so substitute a different sound in the middle what word do you get things like that so that there's there's those early warning signs being able to you know map or match sounds to symbols those that that sort of thing and being able to blend words together those sounds together and letters together um that they're they're, it's crucial just to sort of to look out for that and to make sure that we are explicitly, systematically, cumulatively teaching the alphabet principle for everybody and to start as soon as school starts. Uh, so key key things to challenge and work. If you work hard with the right intervention, then you can um, achieve anything. Work hard, but our responsibility is to make sure that we're giving dyslexics the best chance possible to be able to succeed. And that is through, of course, explicit, systematic, cumulative teaching of the alphabetic code, nurturing those talents and skills that they have. So while that someone's still struggling to read and write, we're going to support the children in being able to achieve that. But at the same time, we'll look at the strengths that the dyslexics have. So if it's, um, you know, in art or sport, 
whatever, we're going to celebrate that as well as say, hey, you've got this, this thing that you're struggling with and we're going to help you with that too and we'll give you the right intervention. So, you know, celebrate achievements and sort of foster that self-esteem, keep the self-esteem intact while we're working on helping you read and write because with the right sort of support and with teachers who understand dyslexia, then, you know, dyslexics can go on and, and do amazing things. And there are many amazing people, dyslexics out there, who have done wonderful things. So, and Your story is so inspiring and I think it will really encourage parents or make them feel a little bit better that, you know, their child, even though it is harder and there will be bad days, that there's oh, no yeah. reason why they can't succeed. There, there isn't. It's just um, we can, you yeah, help everybody. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap this up? Uh, no, thank you for having me, Shay. It's It's been great to talk. Yeah, don't forget to check out Rocky Dan Teaching Man on YouTube and um, subscribe. I'm doing all sorts of new projects and things and uh, I think I'm almost up to 100 video shout-outs for different schools because, you know, in this COVID time, can't get around and play live. So um, I'm doing videos for school. So I've just um, done some for uh, been to Brisbane and Melbourne, videos there, some videos to Western Sydney, just done one to New York, some schools in New York. Um, wow. And London. Yeah, yeah. So um, if anyone wants a shout out, it can be for a class or it can be for just an individual. I'll just record a few songs and put it on YouTube. And yeah, so that's that's been fun too. Yeah, connecting with, with different classrooms through technology. Well, we'll have all your details up on the website on your podcast page so people can um, go through to your YouTube site and sign up and watch your videos. Go to um, the Code Red Network. That's, that's a good Australian website. There's also the ADA, the Australian Dyslexia Association. So if you've got concerns, uh, you can get some more information from Code Red or the um, ADA. Or also, um, you know, for older people, there's obviously the Dyslexic Foundation. And there's also the Interna International Dyslexia Association have a website. That's all really good information there about dyslexia. Um, and if you want to start at looking at a book, the Sally Shaywitz book, Overcoming Dyslexia, is, is great. Your story will really um, help a lot of our listeners out there in a number of different ways. So thank you so much for your time this evening. It was wonderful to speak to you again. Um, and people can find out more through the website, as we said. Yeah, you're most welcome. Thanks, Shay. To find out more about Dan, his story and his self-portrait, you can head to deardyslexic.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to his YouTube channel, Rocking Dan, The Teaching Man. If you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with everything we do at the foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there is anything you have heard today that was distressing, please call Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. If there is a topic you would like discussed on the show, please email us, admin at dyslexic.com. I hope you've enjoyed today. Bye for now.